Welcome, everybody, to the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast. It's the 11th day of September, and my name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher here in Concord, Massachusetts. We are reading through all 66 books of the Bible, reading a portion each day from both the Old and New Testaments. And during this half-hour podcast, we also provide a brief commentary to help you log important landmark discoveries and see how they all relate to the overarching theme of redemption through the work of the Christ, the Messiah. The author of the New Testament epistle to the Hebrew Christians writes in the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Indeed, as we read the book of Isaiah, we can see how definitively God spoke to previous generations in ancient Israel through the prophets in many portions and in many ways. And as we have already seen, even in these prophecies from the 8th century B.C., God is speaking of his Son, who would not come for another 700 years. Yesterday, as we were reading Isaiah chapter 7, we encountered some prophecies that pointed to the circumstances by which God would provide deliverance for the southern kingdom of Judah. But these prophecies would have a greater fulfillment in that God was intending to provide deliverance for people of all nations through his son Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And today we will hear another familiar prophecy concerning the Incarnation. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. We will also encounter the longest name that is found in the Bible. Do you know what that name is? It's Mahal Shalal Hashbaz. And in our reading today we'll find out what that name means. So let's begin where we left off yesterday. We start with Isaiah chapter 8, verse 1, and we will read through to the end of chapter 9. Chapter 8, The Coming Assyrian Invasion. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 1, or as they say in England, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters, belonging to Maher Shalel Hashbaz, and I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Maher Shalel Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again, Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloah that flowed gently, and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Remaliah, therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory and it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, 
Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, Inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. Chapter 9 For to us a child is born. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Judgment on Arrogance and Oppression The Lord has sent a word against Jacob and it will fall on Israel for all the people will know Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say in pride and in arrogance of heart, The bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. But the Lord raises the adversaries of Rezin against him and stirs up his enemies. The Syrians on the east and the Philistines on the west devour Israel with open mouth. For all this his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. The people did not turn to him who struck them, nor inquire of the Lord of hosts. So the Lord cut off from Israel head and tail, palm branch and reed, in one day. The elder and honored man is the head, and the prophet who teaches lies is the tail. For those who guide this people have been leading them astray. For those who are guided by them are swallowed up. 
Therefore the Lord does not rejoice over their young men, and has no compassion on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is godless and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. For all this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. For wickedness burns like a fire, it consumes briars and thorns, it kindles the thickets of the forest, and they roll upward in a column of smoke. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts the land is scorched, and the people are like fuel for the fire. No one spares another. They slice meat on the right, but are still hungry, and they devour on the left, but are not satisfied. Each devours the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh devours Ephraim, and Ephraim devours Manasseh. Together they are against Judah. For all this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. And this concludes our reading of today's portion from the one-year Bible in the Old Testament book of the prophet Isaiah. Let's step back and get a perspective on what we are reading. We are continuing to read a series of Isaiah's prophecies given during the reign of King Ahaz of Judah. They began with Isaiah chapter 7 and continue to chapter 12. The prophets were assigned to communicate God's words to the kings of Israel and Judah. Isaiah is prophesying to King Ahaz of Judah, but foretelling the futures of Israel, Judah, Syria, Assyrian, and surrounding nations. By this time, King Pekah of the northern kingdom of Israel, now known as Samaria, and King Rezin of Syria, threatened to invade Judah and take Jerusalem. But as we learned yesterday, in honor of the covenant that God made with King David, God promised to protect King Ahaz, a descendant of David and king of Judah, even though he did not deserve it. Isaiah had told Ahaz to ask God for a sign to reassure him that he need not fear this threatened invasion from the north. You may remember that Ahaz refused to do so. God said that he would give a sign anyway. A virgin will conceive, and before the child is able to speak properly, the invading forces of Syria and Israel will be overtaken by the Assyrians. The close-up lens view of this prophecy refers to the immediate and local situation of Ahaz's day. The far-distance lens view of this prophecy pictures a greater deliverance coming through the virgin-born Savior, our Emmanuel, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The Lord commands Isaiah to take a large scroll and write the name Maher Shalal Hashbaz on it. This is to be the name of Isaiah's new son, yet to be conceived. It is the longest personal name found in the Bible, and it means quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. It is a word of encouragement that God would give Judah the victory over her enemies and the northern kingdom would fall before the Assyrians in Isaiah chapter 8 verse 3. It is both a prophecy and a birth announcement. And this is the second announcement in the book of Isaiah of the birth of a son yet to be conceived, the baby boys Emmanuel and Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Isaiah is enabled by God to give a gender reveal announcement further in advance than anything possible with an ultrasound even before the babies are conceived. God was announcing two sons would be born. Isaiah and his prophetess wife give birth to their second son with a prophetic name. Their first son was named Shear Jashub, meaning a remnant shall return. The return of a remnant of the people of Judah to the promised land after the Babylonian captivity is a theme in chapters 10, verses 20 through 22, chapter 11, verses 11, 12, and 16. The remnant of Judah had to return to re-establish Jerusalem and fulfill God's redemptive mission. 
to bring forth the Messiah, the promised son of David, Jesus Christ. Both of Isaiah's sons were given names prophesying hope through confidence in God's promised victory. This second prophetic birth announcement is witnessed by two men esteemed trustworthy at the time, Uriah, whose name means Yahweh is my light, and Zechariah, meaning Yahweh's purpose is to bless. Sadly, Uriah would not continue to walk in the light and later will respond to Ahaz's wicked request to build a pagan altar in Samaria patterned after one he had seen on a visit to Damascus in 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 10-16. through 16. Soldiers of Judah knew this prophetic name given to Isaiah's son was a reminder that the anticipated attack from the northern alliance of Samaria and Syria was doomed to failure, not by their might, but by God's grace. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Isaiah's wife, a prophetess, conceives, and his son is born. About two years after his birth, in 732 B.C., both Pekah of Israel, that is Samaria, and Rezin of Syria, of Damascus, are dead. Assyria had conquered Syria and had begun its invasion of Israel. In 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 29, the army was quick to the plunder and swift to the spoil, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 8, verse 4, spelled out in the name of Maher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry out, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 4. The Lord continues to reach out to King Ahaz, inviting him to trust him for deliverance rather than making an alliance with the Assyrians. But once again, King Ahaz rejects God's offer. God had provided his people protection from foreign invasion for 500 years. Now he tells Isaiah that he will open the floodgates and release the river, that is, he will be unleashing an Assyrian invasion, symbolically represented by the river Euphrates, that will flood the land, eventually extending to the land of Judah, although not as far as to reach Jerusalem, in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 6 through 8. Years later, during Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib's Assyrian army would attempt to lay siege against Jerusalem, but God miraculously intervenes and drives them out in answer to Hezekiah's prayer, in Isaiah chapter 37. The Lord would say to Assyria, Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted, chapter 8, verse 10. As King Ahaz and the people reject Isaiah's message, the Lord warns Isaiah not to follow the way of the deceived populace with their faulty analyses and conspiracy theories. He is not to give in to the crowd. Instead, he is to stop ministering to the crowd. His public ministry is to come to an end. He is called to draw near to the Lord and restrict his ministry to his disciples and those he is specifically told to address. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 16. Isaiah rebukes Judah for trusting in an alliance with Assyria rather than trusting in the Lord. He also rebukes them for trusting in the occult, mediums and spiritists, rather than in the word of the Lord. In chapter 8, verse 19. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. The result of the people's rejection of God's word is that they will walk in darkness. God's cornerstone of deliverance will be a stone of stumbling rather than a stone of salvation. They will curse their king and their God. In chapter 9, the theme of light and darkness continues. 
Isaiah gives the prophecy of a Redeemer, the Prince of Peace. The Assyrians will take the northern kingdom into captivity, and the northern kingdom will never recover. After the Babylonian exile, the captives from Judah will return to Jerusalem, but the northern kingdom of Israel will be dispersed. The northern region is devastated. Naphtali and Zebulun were the first to suffer from the invasion of the Assyrians. In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and captured John and abelbeth Maacah, and Genoa and Kadesh, and Hazor and Gilead and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, and he carried them captive to Assyria. 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 29. But there is hope for this region of Naphtali and Zebulun. Galilee of the Gentiles will be honored when the promised branch, the seed of David, emerges centuries later. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea, on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. We hear the good news proclaimed, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. This prophecy looks beyond Christ's first coming to his second coming and the establishment of his kingdom. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 8 to chapter 10, verse 4 describes what will happen to the northern kingdom when the Assyrians invade. The judgment is thorough. By the fury of the Lord of hosts, the land is burned up, and the people are like fuel for the fire. No man spares his brother. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 19. We will continue to read these prophecies of judgment tomorrow, but also realize that there is a promised hope and a future. Now let's go on to our New Testament portion for today, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Paul's visions and his thorn. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who fourteen years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weaknesses, though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of their surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, 
so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And this concludes our reading from today's New Testament portion in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. In Paul's defense against his critics, he contrasts the Jesus he preaches with the false Jesus preached by the impostor apostles. He contrasts his gospel with the false gospel of these false teachers. He contrasts his experience of self-sacrifice and the suffering dangers with the experience of the super-apostles who make every effort to promote and preserve themselves. In chapter 12, we learn why he boasts in his weaknesses. In this chapter, Paul further affirms the authenticity of his apostleship by telling of his first-hand experience of the crucified, risen, and glorified Savior, the Lord Jesus. Paul had met him on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, verse 2, and chapter 22, verse 26, but now we learn of another encounter he has with Christ. Paul was reticent about sharing his personal experiences. He did not want to exalt anyone but Jesus. But the Corinthians needed assurance that Paul knows whom he has believed. His experiences were not designed to puff up his ego, but rather to keep him humble and further conform him to the nature of Christ. To avoid sounding like he is tooting his own horn or preaching himself, he describes his experience of being caught up to the third heaven in the third person rather than the first person. I know a man in Christ who fourteen years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. Was this an out-of-the-body experience that he had when he was beaten, stoned, and left for dead outside the gates of the city of Lystra in Acts chapter 14, verse 12? I don't think so, as Paul said it happened fourteen years prior to him writing this letter, which would have meant it happened circa 41 or 43 A.D. when he was just beginning his ministry in Syria and Cilicia, in Acts chapter 9, verse 30, and Galatians chapter 1, verse 21. In the book of Acts, Paul experienced being let down in a basket in Damascus, in Acts chapter 9, verse 25, but here he describes being caught up to the third heaven. Today we are able to rise into the first heavens through air travel, the earth's atmosphere and stratosphere, and explore the second heavens, that is the starry heavens. But no one can go into the third heaven apart from the help of God, for the third heaven is described as paradise, where God dwells in glory. It is the place of God's throne, the headquarters of His governmental rule. To prevent self-glorying, boasting, and pride due to His extraordinary privileges of first-hand experience of the reality of heaven, the assurance of life after death, access to the presence of his ascended Lord and receiving special revelation, God gave Paul a gift of an affliction. Job's comforters thought Job's affliction was a punishment from God. We learn that Paul's affliction was actually a gift from God, although it was ministered to him by a messenger of Satan. In heaven, Paul had divine secrets disclosed to him in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 1 through 6, and he heard words that were inexpressible and which men were not allowed to speak and the thorn in the flesh that was given to him, though it tormented him, served a necessary, divine, preserving purpose in Paul's life so that he would not exalt himself. This vision of God's glory helped to sustain Paul's extraordinary ministry. Paul confidently assures us 
that we who are in Christ Jesus are already seated with Christ in heavenly places. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, we are members of His body, His glorious church on the earth, and are now being built together to be a habitation for God through the Spirit. We have been given delegated authority and are being trained to reign with Christ in the ages to come. How did He know these things? God permits us to have hardships and to experience suffering in this world. Many aspects of the problem of suffering and evil in this world remain a mystery, but we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Paul did not silently sit back and endure suffering. He kept on engaging with God in prayer. The expression, I pleaded with the Lord three times, implies persistence in prayer. He experienced God's glory and human pain. God answered Paul's prayer with a solid revelation. The tense of the verb in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 shows how settling a word of God can be. And he, that is God, once and for all said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Kenneth Wiest, a master in Greek tenses, translates it, And he has said to me, and his declaration still stands, My grace is enough for you. For power is moment by moment coming to its full energy and complete operation in the sphere of weakness. This is why Paul boasts in his hardships, in insults, persecutions, and weaknesses. For when I am weak, he says, then I am strong. Chapter 12, verse 10. Now let's go to today's reading from the book of Psalms. And we are in Psalm 55 today. Psalm 55, verses 1 through 23. Cast your burden on the Lord, to the choirmaster, with stringed instruments, a masculine of David. Psalm 55. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan, because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me, the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away, I would lodge in the wilderness, I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city." Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them, let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan, and He hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, He who is enthroned from of old because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, 
yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. In Psalm 55, verses 1-3, through 3, the psalmist is deeply disturbed by the accusations of the enemy. His heart is overwhelmed by his current circumstances, and he longs to be able to flee from them. In verses 4-8, through 8, rather than personally taking revenge, he asks the Lord to deal with his foes. He is confident that the Lord is able to do so rightly. In verse 23, he pleads in prayer that the Lord would confound the speech of the enemy who has brought discord to the city. When we look at what is taking place in our cities around the world today, we can identify with the psalmist's prayer request. Confuse, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around her, upon her walls, and iniquity and mischief are in her midst. Destruction is in her midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from her streets. Psalm 55, verses 9-11 through 11. The psalmist's personal pain is clear in verses 12-14, through 14, since he had suffered the betrayal of a close friend with whom he once worshipped the Lord. This companion has not only attacked the psalmist, but violated his covenant relationship with his friends, in verse 20 and 21, he deceives others with smooth speech. The psalmist encourages us all to pray, Cast your burden upon the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Verse 22, he confirms this promise with his own testimony in verses 16 through 19. We must move on now to get our daily antidote to foolishness by going to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 23 Verses 4 and 5. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. You may have heard it said, Money talks, and most often it says, Goodbye. Here is wisdom. Lay up your treasures in heaven if you want your wealth to last. Thank God, who enables you to earn your keep and gain wealth, but do not be preoccupied with your wealth. Cease from your vexation on it. It has a habit of flying south. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you have encouraged us to put our trust in you rather than fleeting wealth and flawed wisdom. Thank you for your unfailing word. Help us to see that your grace is sufficient for us, even as we are buffeted with all the sufferings that come from human experience. We are grateful that we can cast our cares on you and that you will sustain us and will never let those who are rightly related to you fail. We pray that you will expose the lies of the enemy, frustrate his plans, and bring your truth to light up our dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. There we have it, our reading in the Old and New Testament, the book of Psalms and Proverbs. Indeed, God has spoken, and he is speaking through his word. God willing, we'll be with you tomorrow as we continue our journey through the prophecies of Isaiah and Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. If you would like to get a written copy of our commentary on each day's reading, you can subscribe at our website, newlife.org. And there you can find other resources and learn of the ministries of New Life, New Life Community Church, New Life Fine Arts, and our various outreaches and missions. And if this daily podcast is a blessing to you, we'd love to hear from you, and you can contact us 
by email, and our address is podcast at newlife.org. Thank you, friends, and may you continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, realizing that He is our sufficiency. Shalom.